Welcome to the show. You're about to listen in on a great conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Play Big Podcast, where we're talking with people that are playing big in life, in business, and in finance. And today I have a distinct honor of sitting down with a very good friend and a mentor, Mr. Wayne Palmer. Welcome to the studio. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, so I'm going to start off by who is Wayne Palmer? Boy, that's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I've, I've thought about that question many times, and I think we take on a lot of labels in life. You know, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm, I'm a businessman, and Really, as I study anybody, but especially myself, I'm, I'm that's really not who I am, you know. So I see myself as as just one of the billions who, who has an opportunity to be here and to learn and grow and share and, and my whole purpose is to make a difference if I can. And I'd like to think that that's who I am. Where did you you use the word someone that likes to learn? When did you first learn about yourself that you enjoyed learning? You know, it was back in the late '70s. I was a, a young father and had gone into real estate, was a real estate developer and broker. And so my income was tied to the real estate business. And we went into that recession of 1978, 79, got really serious during 80, 81 with Paul Volcker and you know <laughs> those re- record high interest rates. And I was terrorized because I had grown up on a farm that had gone through the Great Depression when my dad was a, a, ch- a child. Mm-hmm. So I'd heard all those stories about almost losing the farm and foreclosures and being hungry and crawling up and down the sugar beet rows until their knees bled to make Mm. a living to pay that farm off that year. And they did, thankfully. So when I, it was in 1979, the October issue, was actually the September issue that I saw in October of the Business Week magazine, had a big gold 50 on the cover of it. And inside the article, it said, 50 years ago, could it happen again? Wow. Talking about the Great Depression, the stock market crash of 1929. When I saw that, I just had terror flood my body Mm. to think that I could end up in the same position that my grandpa and my dad had been in back in the thirties and something inside of me snapped. And I said, okay, I might not be the smartest guy, but I can probably outwork most people. So I'm going to shut off the TV and go to work and learn all I can learn. And that was not necessarily an exciting thing to begin with. It was kind of a drudgery, but I wasn't very far into it. Got connected with, with, the PMA rallies at the time, that was kind of the predecessor to the whole internet-based podcast system right. we have and the education we have now, which we had that then, and and learned to really like that. Zig Ziglar and a whole, whole bunch of the big names, Art Linkletter. And so I went to those regularly and I started reading books. And the first real estate book I read was Mark Haroldson's How to Wake Up the Financial Genius Inside of You. Hmm. It was advertised in our local paper. I'd been married just a few months at that time. And I remember my wife was teaching school. I was breaking into real estate. She was really making the only money we had to live on because I was still trying to get this commission thing up and going, right? And so I felt guilty even asking her if it'd be okay to spend $10 on that book (laughs) because it seemed like such a luxury. And she was an educator and she encouraged it and and it it got me started. Somewhere along that era, I, I began to really love learning. What did, what did you like about the process? Because I think oftentimes people will read things that may not necessarily learn something. But when it comes to learning, learning is like a skill that gets developed over, over time. What did, what did you begin to learn about yourself in the learning process that still to this day you're, you're an avid learner, well-read? And what, what was it during that process that you realized, man, this is a skill that 
is valuable to me and to other people. I think it was when I came to understand that the more I learned, the more I understood what was going on around me. And so the more effective I became. I remember sitting in the first real estate brokerage I, I worked with, and my broker would be standing there talking to some mortgage lender. And they'd be talking about FHA points and discounts and the Federal Reserve and this and that. And, that. and I'd be sitting there in awe, just like, how do they know so much? Mm. I knew none of that. I mean, I grew up on a farm. I knew none of that when I went into the business. I had to learn everything from scratch. And it was that response to the fear that I felt in 1979 and then gradually understanding that, hey, I kind of get this now. And then I really get this now. And then after the years with Kiyosaki, you know, really understanding because Robert goes so deep mm -hmm. in, in his learning process. One of the things I respect most about Robert and Kim Kiyosaki is, is they continue to study intensely, right. even long after they've made it. And, and so I've, I've surrounded myself now with people who are learners. Right. We love to learn. Yes. It's a way of life, right? It's the personal development aspect. It's knowing that I am increasing my ability to respond at a higher level to the circumstances of life, not only for my own benefit, but to bless everyone else around me, particularly my family and those that are closest to me that I love and I'm responsible for. And when did you learn the skill or the benefit of not only learning as one thing, but then being able to apply the things that you're learning? So you went from the, the stage of learning about things in the real estate market, uh, conditions in the economy or whatever else you were learning at that moment, but taking, taking what you're learning, how do you take it from learning to actually being productive with the things that you learn? That's a great question. I've never been asked that question. For me, it was kind of instinctual because again, going back to my roots on the farm, no knowledge had any value on the farm unless it got something done, hmm. unless you could translate it to, to measurable benefit. And so you went out and did the highest value tasks every day. If, if the crops need to be watered, that's what you did. If they need to be harvested, that's what you did. The animals always needed to be fed. If you didn't feed them, they, they didn't do as well and they might die, right? right. So I had that in me, but, but it was also a little bit tricky when I got into business to, to translate that to business. I remember sitting at my desk in my first office after I'd started my own company and my desk is stacked with files with transactions in them and just feeling panicked. If you showed me a bunch of bales of hay scattered in the field, <laughs> I knew how to pick those up and build a beautiful stack that would survive the winter and keep the water out and right. everything else. But what in the heck am I supposed to do with this pile of paper? I mm. didn't have that skill. And then as I studied and I learned, I heard about mindfulness and just focus on one thing at a time and bring all of your focus and energy to bear on that and do the best you can do on that and then set that aside. Pretty soon I had these nice, neat stacks of files on my desk. They were all pushed as far as I could into the process. They were all organized. I knew where they were. And something inside of me changed because I felt effective right. in the world. I felt like I could do something, mm. that, that I, I had relevant skills. And I especially enjoyed that when I started seeing it make a difference for my clients. Mm. When, when they, I began to see them prosper because they listened to what I had learned and let me apply it for them. Right. And along, along this path, you ended up also learning about a guy by the name of Buckminster Fuller, mm. who you and I both have a, a very good joint friend by the name of Kelly Ritchie. And for those people that have never heard of Buckminster Fuller, who, who is Buckminster Fuller? I think Bucky Fuller is one of the exceptional human beings who ever lived. I believe that he surely possessed one of the greatest minds of his generation and maybe of all generations. I mean, you can take any scientist in history, as far as I'm concerned, or any business person, anybody for that matter, and compare their life to Bucky, and they would have a hard time measuring up. 
surely have a hard time beating him in terms of all that he accomplished. I think for me, the most remarkable thing about Buckminster Fuller is he referred to himself as guinea pig B, the B standing for Bucky. Mm. He made his life his own experiment. He was his subject in the, in the experiment. And, and he went out in the world to try to find what is effective. One of the things that anchored me to Bucky, and I will tell this story in my words, is at 27 years of age, he was broke. He and his father-in-law had failed in a home building business in the Chicago area. And he was broke and he had a wife and a daughter that were dependent upon him. And he was scared to death, just like me in 1979, mm -hmm. at about that same age, that he was going to let them down. And he went out to the, to the shore of Lake Michigan, as I understand, with the intention of wading or walking or swimming out in that water fully dressed as far as he could and then just sinking and being done with it. Wow. He had a life insurance policy. And he thought, at least my family will get my life insurance. At least I can give them that much because I'm so powerless, powerless to give them mm. anything else. And he said it was there on that shore of that cold lake that he cried out to God angrily at first, frustrated at least, and said, if, if there's any reason for me to continue this miserable existence of mine, you need to tell me now. Mm. Or I'm coming to see you in person, right. so to speak. And he said it was there that I first had the thought that if I were to do that thing and only that thing, that would bring the greatest amount of good to the largest number of people on this planet simultaneously, the needs of myself and my family would always be spontaneously provided, always and only in the nick of time. The remarkable thing about Bucky Fuller's life to me is that he turned his back on that lake and he walked home a new man. He walked home with that vision, and for the rest of his life, which turned out to be 50-some-odd years, he researched and discovered principles that work in life, and he applied them to himself. He used himself as the experiment. He was literally his own guinea pig. Mm -hmm. And when they worked in his life, then he would develop what he called artifacts that he would develop, like the geodesic dome or the Namaxium map or uh, the Namaxium car, and, and he try to solve the problems that we face with technology, with, with knowledge mm -hmm. that would change everything. He was, what, at least 40 or 50 years ahead of his time? Right. And now we are in the process of fully developing his thinking and benefiting from it marvelously. Bucky may, in the end, have saved the planet. Wow. Can you, um, the statement that you made about uh, what his realization was on the pier, mm -hmm. could you go a little bit deeper in into that sure. that if if i were to focus on the one thing that i could do so you you talked a moment ago about being able to focus and harness something that would be to the greatest benefit of humanity basically but everything happening simultaneously can you just kind of educate us a little bit on that principle which is the ability to do what you are gifted to do for me i believe that god puts very unique talents inside of every human being Sometimes people have a very hard time with what is my purpose or why yeah. am I here and what am I called to do? Sure. And, you know, that's this esoteric conversation that people have without being able to figure that, being able to figure that out, but figuring that out, but recognizing that things happen simultaneously, it's basically a law of nature that is following, which is created by God. But can you kind of talk about that a little bit in, in your experience, either your understanding and study of Buckminster Fuller or your application of it in your, in your own life? I can, and I think it's really contained in that slogan right there, play big. 
what Bucky was really saying is play on the biggest stage you can play on always and bless as many other lives as you can simultaneously. He used his metaphor of, of the honeybee, the bumblebee, the whatever bee, the right, bee, yeah. right? but he called it the honeybee. And he said that, that the honeybee travels at a horizontal plane and it thinks it's after the nectar in that flower over there. And so it flies over to that flower and sucks the nectar out and takes it back to the hive to make honey to keep its queen alive, right? But he said the honeybee doesn't understand what's really going on because hanging at a 90 degree angle to its body is the little feet right. on the bee and it's gathering the pollen as he goes. And then that is being deposited on each of the flowers as it goes around gathering the nectar, which ironically ensures the next gestation period for its survival and for the gift that that is to everybody else on the planet, oxygen and food and what have right. you. And those bees are little workers, you know, but they don't know what they're doing. He said, human beings are the same way. We go after money in life and he called it honey, money, bumbling. <laughs> so we're the little bumblebees thinking I'm after that dollar. I want that. I want that business. I want to make that investment. And we take off there, but unavoidably at a 90 degree angle, we are accomplishing our evolutionary purpose. Right. We are becoming in the process of that people who can do more with less, as he talked about in his concept of ephemeralization. And by gaining those skills to do more with less or to use this beautiful technology to do more with less, we advance quicker and we're able to do more. The simultaneous thing, I think, has two aspects to it. The first one is that his message was don't organize yourself on a scale that you're only blessing a few people because that's easy. Mm -hmm. Bless as many as you can simultaneously. In other words, play big. Mm -hmm. Go as big as you can. And, and at a time recently in my life when, when I was reorganizing everything, I thought a lot about that. How could I organize myself at the biggest possible level? What is the gift that I could give? And by the way, I absolutely resonate with you about everybody is born with a purpose. Yes. I believe everybody's life is sacred because they have in them part of the grand life force that we refer to as God. A person out there might not choose to use that term, but whatever you see that source of life and light and energy in the world that drives all of everything, that is what we're talking about. Because each of us consists of that, that is a big deal. I will try not to be emotional. I lost a nephew yesterday. Oh, wow. Sorry to hear that. And a young man, 44 years old, I think. And, 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 and that life force left him. And, and he was such a beautiful child. He had that beautiful energy with him. That is what we really are. He started out asking me what I am. Right. Who am I am? Mm -hmm. That's who I am. That's who I think all of us are. And so when we recognize that, it's no longer good enough to just serve ourselves. What difference does it make if I take care of me and a couple others? Like, like Bucky said, you know, liveringry. How many days of liveringry can right. you gather around you? In other words, how many, how many people can you support for the near future or the long term? Right. Ultimately, we want to create systems that will support everyone forever. Mm. That's the goal. Mm. And so the simultaneous part is, first of all, if we get into that, what he referred to as the metaphysical realm, that's, I think, another word for spiritual realm. Right. Spirit, not in religion, but spirit in terms of embracing and becoming comfortable with and, and cognizant in how to use that core energy that each of us has right. to the highest good. When we're operating on that level, it is a simultaneous thing because that's the point at which creation takes place. Hmm. It's not out here in all of the busy activity. Right. It's in there where we meld with that energy 
and there's a trigger that becomes a creative force in whatever we have these beautiful minds focused on. So first discover what that gift is because you have one. Secondly, develop it and now go give it on the biggest possible stage you can. And so that's what I'm about. It's one of the reasons I appreciate being here today in, in these facilities that you've created because you're living your passion and your purpose and you're playing very big to take these messages to the world. And I'm saying, let's take it to everybody. Right. Because we can. Right. And if we can, we should. There, there's a lot that I want to ask you about, about what you just said. But I want to start back to the bumblebee and mm -hmm. the bee doing what the bee is thinking that it, the only thing that it's doing. Right. So the bees, you know, the queen bee kicks him out and off he goes and right. does what he's doing. But yes, the, the pollinization and the, the it by default cross pollinates everything in the world. It doesn't wake up in the morning, and go and think to itself, ah, I'm today, I'm going to serve my purpose of cross pollinating the entire world. <laughs> right. Not a clue. Um, but you, you mentioned something I think is extremely important and, uh, I think it's difficult to, to understand. So I want you to help try to explain it and educate people that are tuning into it because wh whatever you're doing, you said something happens at 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. And so when the bee is doing what it's doing horizontally, uh, you know, 90 degrees in all different directions, something's happening. It's like when you drop a, drop a rock into water, the, when it hits the water, the energy goes away from the falling of the rock and it slowly goes to the bottom. But then the ripple mm -hmm. goes out at 90 degrees, but it goes out at 90 degrees in every direction. That's right. Right. So it's omnidirectional. It goes in all directions, but at 90 degrees. Explain to me the importance of 90 degrees. And for people that hate math, maybe they think, oh, man, here comes a geometry lesson. Yeah, yeah. But the importance of 90 degrees and the ripple effect that I think sometimes people don't recognize the impact that they actually make on a human being and the ripple effect that that causes. Or when they just go mm -hmm. to work to do what they do, if they stay on purpose and they have a high intention with what they're doing, they, it has a ripple effect that most people have never, I don't think have been taught or educated or have had the experience to pay attention to what else is going on because something else is always happening. Yeah. Explain to me in your, in your life and your, in the things that you've done, how did you learn to pay attention to everything else that's, that's going on around you and why is that important? I think it's an extension of, of what I already said about 1979. Um, it was out of necessity. I mean, I was highly motivated to support my family. I didn't want my wife and children in the same position my grandmother had unavoidably been in during the Great Depression. If there was anything I could do about that, I wanted to, number one, understand and learn what that was. And mm. number two, be man enough to get it done. Right. And so it was that intense motivation I had to do it. But if, if you look at my career at the time, I was honey money bumbling along thinking, I want to make some sales in real estate and I want to buy some investment property and I want to develop some nice projects and honey, money, bumbling, bumbling, bumbling. Right. Right. But at this 90 degree angle, 90 degrees to what I thought my purpose was, was this necessity of surviving mm. and necessity of a finding a bigger way to play because I was into temporary fixes, a commission check here and there to support the family. I wasn't building a system yet to do that over the long term. And so in the process of trying to discover what else I needed to know, in order to become that person who could do that bigger job and right. serve more and better, I, I developed that sense of purpose. And, and I came to accomplish my real purpose, which I think was the development of my own life. Mm. And I think that's the purpose for everybody. We do whatever we do, but that isn't what really going on. Right. It really was, isn't what's important. What do, you think, what do you think stops people from having a, an, an awareness of the impact that they could possibly make 
the size of the impact that they could make and the longevity of the impact that they could make. What do you think is stopping most people? Well, you're asking for my personal opinion. My personal opinion is it's conditioning mm. that since, you know, we were very small, certain people around us, thankfully in my home, it definitely wasn't my mother. My dad was really strict, but, but dad also had this, this kind of 90 degree angle way of saying, get this done. But there was always the assumed truth that, oh, and by the way, you can do that. He didn't say you can do it once in a while, maybe. But it was assumed that as a five-year-old, I could slop the hogs. Right. You know, yeah. most five-year-olds wouldn't think they're <laughs> capable right. of that. Just most, want to eat the bacon. Yeah, and most five-year-olds' parents wouldn't even let them try it, right? Right. But my dad had to go to work on a job, and those pigs needed to be fed, so he would put the mash in the barrel. I knew how to turn the water on, fill it up to this line with a hose, and, and get a, a, a utensil and, and stir it, right. and then get my little bucket and be careful, don't fall in and, <laughs> and get just enough that I could carry it over to the trough and dump it in there and get those hogs fed. And so at a very young age, I was given this sense of can do mm. by my family. I think way too many children aren't. Way too many children are told things that are critical and you don't count and you don't have that. If you, anybody listening out there has ever heard that message from anyone, it's a lie. It is an absolute lie erase that mm. from your memory bank, erase that from your heart and mind and go look yourself in the eye in the mirror until you see something different, until you see that deeper part of yourself and understand that you have something special in you and you have all the power you will ever need to do great things in this life, particularly that one thing that you were born to do that nobody else can. Right. I, lo I love that. Inside of your learning and your growing, when did you first grab onto a uh, a foundation of God in your life and realizing, you know, what, what we've been talking about, which is that you have a purpose that you've been fearfully and wonderfully made and you, you've got a purpose for being here. When did you first start believing that and grabbing hold of that? And how did it begin to impact your life? Thankfully, I had some religious upbringing at home. My father wasn't a religious man. My mother wasn't in the early years of my life. She had come from a home where she'd had some grounding, but the one she, thing she brought with her to her marriage with my dad was a great big old family Bible. And it was one of those that had all those scary pictures of the devil in it. <laughs> you know? So I remember those, those antique pictures. I remember studying those as a child and just being terrified. Like, Whoever that dude is, I don't want to be around him. I, I want will, him to be my friend. <laughs> I will do anything not to, not to be in his power. So that came really early. But then you get into that period of you start to learn more and compare it all to the world. And at some point we have to come to our own convictions and our own understanding and our own faith and belief. There are lots of words we could attach to that. So I, I served a mission for my church in Korea in when I was 19 years old for two years. And, and that was wonderful. It was a wonderful period of personal development because it gave me the opportunity to get completely outside of myself. I did nothing but teach the principles of the gospel for those two years. Mm. And, and, and so I was, I, I was the ability as a 19 year old to be selfless. Right. <laughs> you know, what 19 year old has that? Because we're so hedonistic at that age. We didn't date. We didn't have recreation. We didn't do anything. We got up at six o'clock in the morning. We worked until nine o'clock at night. We did that six and a half days a week. Wow. On Monday, we had half a day off to do our laundry and write some letters home. And then we started over again that afternoon. And it's, it's very challenging, but it was a wonderful experience. So I came home from that with deeper faith, but then the rubber really hit the road. So then you take all of this that you've gotten, all of this that you think you understand, whatever your convictions are spiritually and whatever practice you choose in, in spirituality, and 
And then we start to apply it in the real world. How do mm. I balance this with, with family and work and providing and all those other things? And how do I make something of myself? And that's where at some point I, I, I started, I felt this tension mm. because the more I learned about the world and the more I studied ancient philosophy and, and history and things, the more a gap seemed to develop between my fundamental beliefs and, and all that I was encountering out here. In other words, this world picture got so big that I wondered how applicable this was. Wow. It wasn't that I ever let go of my faith because I had really strong convictions, right. but there was that tension in that. And so it was when I was in Anchorage, Alaska in, in the early 80s that I started really studying metaphysics and, and some of the Eastern religions and philosophies and trying to understand how that related because I've always held that, that my personal belief, which is a belief in Jesus Christ and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the container of all truth. That there is nothing that is true that doesn't belong to that. It could be Muslim truth. It could be any truth in the world. It could be Buddhism, anything. Right. But if it's true, it belongs to my religion. Mm. And it's part of that core. So, so that's why I think that's playing big on the religious field because you can talk to me about whatever anybody can about whatever their religious beliefs are. Right. And if it rings as true, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. We don't have to belong to the same church or, or even right. to read the same books. Right. But if it's about truth, I want it. Mm. And so then I became motivated to play on that big stage. And that's when I delved deeply into Bucky and said, what's this metaphysical stuff all about? And come full circle in that over about a 40-year period of, of now being at a place where I'm so comfortable with the truth of it all. I have no issue between religion and science. Right. I don't. I think religion is the why and the science is the how. And, and we can argue about all of the details, but why? Right. Why? Let's get down to the, just the structural principles. We can argue whether or not the finishes in this building are the best they could be, but the building's standing and it's a good, strong building. Right. Why don't we focus on that? Right. Can you talk a little bit about metaphysical? I think people probably have heard the word metaphysical or if they hear someone talking about it, they're like, oh, well, that's just this uh, invisible thing that's out there. Yeah. Um, but I also love, and I'll tie it to entrepreneurship, but I really, I want to talk about the, your understanding of me metaphysical world, but entrepreneurship is the ability to create something from nothing because something is already there. Mm -hmm. uh, humans have an uh, insane ability through innovation to bring things that are invisible, like their thoughts or dreams or something and bring them visible into a reality that people get to experience. Right. Uh, explain to me, what is the, the metaphysical world? What is your understanding of it now that you've spent many years uh, studying it, learning it, applying it, those kinds of things. So people that have a knee-jerk reaction to people that talk about metaphysical things, what, what is in, in your mind or your definition, what is the metaphysical? Love that question. First of all, if we, if we look to the core word in, I think it's Greek, it might be Latin, meta, it means beyond or behind. Mm. So what is the metaphysical world? What is beyond the physical or behind the physical? That is such a revealing question when we, yes. when we really set out to answer it. Because if we look at how anything physical, the wood in this desk, the steel in the legs, anything physical manifests itself, the tissues in our bodies, that starts out as pure energy. And when we really come to see it through the eyes of modern physics, our bodies really aren't what we think they are. Because every cell in our bodies is coming in and out of existence at an incredibly rapid rate. Mm. There is as much space between the nucleus and the electrons in every atom in our body as there is, relatively speaking, between the earth and the sun. 
Wow. The sun is 93 mi million miles away from us, which Bucky said was the perfect distance, right? <laughs> it's just enough to be a good power plant and That's not right. cook us or freeze us. So there's perfection in all of that. So I started to really tune in to, to Bucky's statement also that 99.999% of reality is invisible to human perception. Hmm. If we study our five senses, we have a, a really narrow spectrum of sensorial capability. Explain that a little bit. It means that through our sight, sound, taste, touch, smell, we only get a tiny slice. If we look at light, for example, there's a whole spectrum of light. You've got the black light on one side and the infrared on the other, and we see this little band of color hmm. with our eyes. We know there are animals who can see with other, right. in other spectrums, right? Or let's take sound. We can hear a certain octave range of sound. If you blow a dog whistle, our dog can hear higher sounds than we can mm. very well. Right. And so we only can perceive that little slice. But does that eliminate all of the other? You know, that's no, one, right. one, one ten thousandth of, mm. of the whole. Wow. Are we really willing to live as human beings by in, in that one one ten thousandth slice of reality? Or are we willing to step into a place as challenged to do by Buckminster Fuller of using the power of our perception? You mentioned the genius of people to create things right. out of nothing, entrepreneurship. Will we step into that and, and make it something bigger? Trust that that exists. And we can find evidence for it. Right. There's all kinds of evidence once we start to look. I am so comfortable in that world now. I really believe that's where creation takes place, always. Mm. It always takes place in the unseen world first and then manifests materially here. Temporal means temporary. Metaphysical, beyond physical, behind the physical is the stuff that is forever. Right. That's the energy. What, what did Newton say? Energy, it, as Einstein said, energy is everything and everything's energy. Right. And then Newton gave us the laws of thermodynamics that, you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. And something once put in motion remains in motion until acted upon by an equal and opposite force. When we start to really think about that, not as science students at school, because I hated science right. at school. I did not like <laughs> it at all. Now I love it because it helps me see the nature of reality. It helps me discern that greater, bigger truth. And it gets me into a realm where I can use my personal energy to interface with the unseen in a way that I have causal effect on the outcome. Now that might freak people out. Right. What? You know, that sounds like alchemy. Well, yeah, maybe, but... It's, it's not some hocus pocus thing. I'm talking about this being real. Right. How many programs do we have now like The Shift, Wayne Dyer, or, or you talk about what's the one on manifesting went around years ago? It was the Secret. Yeah, The Secret. Right. You know, Bob Proctor and all the guys on there. We, we, can, we can judge that and, and discount it, or we can stand still and say, is there really something there? That's what I started doing in 1979. Instead of crossing something out because of religious prejudice or anything else, daring to look right. and daring to see the truth. If you're true, show me. Right. I'm willing to look because I'm sovereign. You can't push something on me. I'm not afraid you're going to brainwash me. Right. I have choices that I can make and say, and there are lots of things that I encounter. There's there several big topics. Reincarnation for me is one of them, right? Mm -hmm. I don't get it. I don't, I couldn't say I believe in that. I right. don't, I don't believe in it. But I'm not saying somebody else is wrong because so I just put that up on the shelf right. and say, I'll consider that later if I get more evidence. I don't need to completely discount yeah, it. Yeah, just discount it and, and, and be rude to somebody else because they, they might have a different experience. Right. Can you give a, maybe a practical or tangible example of 
because I think it's empowering for humans that they they rarely recognize how much power they actually have mm-hmm. to create something, to manifest something. You know, it's you brought up the the secret, like and Wayne Dyer, and mm-hmm. you know, there's like a dichotomy sometimes in the conversation between the secret, the law of attraction. If I just think it, then it can come to me. But you don't. You know, I think Wayne Dyer said, "You don't attract what you want; you attract what you are." And the power of metaphysical, being able to to see things that aren't there. I love your definition of metaphysical, which is meta beyond or beyond what is physical and being able to see it. How does someone, one, develop a skill to put it into practice of of daring to look at things that are out there that maybe they don't have the perception to perceive it yet, but once they start doing that and then actually practically taking that and harnessing it to produce something or to create something or in the word that you used with Buckminster Fuller was create an artifact from this invisible world through your senses of honing into something and then the the process of making that into the physical not the metaphysical yeah I heard you ask three questions there let's see if I can track them so starting out Wayne Dyer you don't attract what you want you attract what you are what does the word are mean in this mm. sentence? I think I have learned what it means is it, you attract what you are in your energy frequency. Explain that a little bit. Yeah. And, and I love this part. Uh, there's a great book called The Architecture of All Abundance by Lenidra Carroll. She happens to be the mother of the, the pop star Jewel. Wow. And she was Jewel's manager when she broke into her her music career. Can you say the title, title of the book one more time? The Architecture of All Abundance. Architecture of All Abundance. Okay. It's a wonderful book. And one of the things she says in there is that we are each energy beacons. I'm par- paraphrasing. If you see this, Lenidra, forgive me for <laughs> misquoting you, but it's really a compliment to you. She says we, we all are, it's like we're little broadcast towers and whatever energy is going on in my body, my mind, my spirit, these, these feelings I'm having, our emotions are especially powerful. Yeah. And, and our thoughts are very powerful, that they have an energy signature to them. We can actually measure this scientifically now. So negative thoughts have a lower, denser energy frequency, right. higher, more motivating thoughts, po- more positive thoughts, more powerful and pure thoughts have a higher energy frequency. We attract what we are. Her way of saying that is the universe is always saying yes. It only says yes. Our job is to discover in ourselves what it is it is saying yes to. Got it. So when we start to monitor our energy frequency and to be responsible for what we're putting out, then we can start to see changes in what we're bringing back mm. and, and what's, what's manifesting around us. And we say manifesting, and it sounds, it sounds again hocus pocus and like some kind of black magic. It isn't. It's the natural way of things. All Everything that's here started with somebody's thought. There's an engineer somewhere that developed that water bottle and the casting for it, and however that extrusion process takes right. place, and made this container with this nifty little lid that we can hold our water in and keep it cold and have it here on the set if we get thirsty. That's right. That started in someone's mind, as did everything else in this room. These headsets, the whole works. That's kind of a cool thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a beautiful process. We can be part of that process. Somebody used their energy to focus on that and develop that until it became that artifact. Right. That's how we can change the world. That's how we can better the world. I flew here on a 757, love airplanes. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there looking out at the wing and, 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 and this machine around me, they're just magnificent machines to me. The fact that I can fly from Salt Lake City, Utah to Atlanta, Georgia in less than four hours, you know, right. is, is remarkable. It'd take me 
months to walk that. Right. And, and so we live in this world where we have all of this capability. The question is, are we tapping in? Are we perceiving it? Are we seeing it? Are we understanding what a benefit it is? And most importantly, and this gets to your question of how we apply it, am I positioning myself relative to all of that capability in a way that I can leverage it to create my own artifact, mm. live my purpose, to give my gift? You asked for a, an example. My third daughter, when she was almost 16 years old, and you know, kids want to talk about one thing on their 16th birthday, right? <laughs> Give me a new car. <laughs> a car. You know, what car are we going to get? And, and so I started carefully questioning her. You're always a little nervous about that question, yeah. I think, you know, to figure out what they want. But I said, okay, Brooke, what is it you want, hon? And she said, I want a Mustang. I said, okay, what color? And she said, I want a blue one, a bright blue one. Said, all right, what color is the top? White. Mm. And I said, boy, that's a pr pretty specific request. And she said, well, you're the one who Asking talks about all this manifesting stuff. And I just figured that I need to be specific if I'm, right. if I'm going to manifest it. And so I kind of swallowed hard and thought, <clears throat> okay, she's putting, holding my feet to the fire here. Well, we had a, an industrial project in real estate and, and we were developing office warehouse condominiums. So, you know, you have your warehouse for your business, a little office and Right. Usually distributors and things like that. And we had a carpet company in one of those units. The guy that owned it came to me and said, man, my company's growing. I need another unit. Can I buy that one next to me? Sure. And he said, I don't have quite enough money to pay for it. He said, I'm, sh I'm, I'm short about, about $9,000. And he said, can I trade you something for it? And I said, what do you want to trade? And he said, a car. And I said, what kind of car? And he said, a Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, what color is the Mustang? What kind of Mustang? He said, it's a convertible. And I said, what color is it? He said, kind of a bright blue. Wow. And I said, and the top? Oh, it's white top, white interior. Wow. So, of course, I took the car in trade, right? Yes, immediately. And bought it from, the, from that particular company that I owned 30% of, but I bought my partners out of it. And so on, on Brooke's 16th birthday, I had that car all detailed, and we put the neon lights underneath it and had the stereo thumping in yeah. it. She loved grease at the time, so I had, <laughs> you know, grease is the word, thumping. And yeah. she walked out of the house and saw that thing sitting in the driveway, and she took off running toward it. She's not a very demonstrative girl. She's pretty reserved. Stopped, turned around, looked at me, came running back, threw her arms and legs wow. around me and thanked me, and then ran back to her car. And I thought, okay. I mean, I, I know I say this stuff works, but wow, this stuff works. <laughs> yes. You know, even for someone that age, she was very powerful in her intention. Yes. 100%. And very specific. One of the things I admire about you and uh, I, I always have is, and something with Kelly Ritchie is your ability to pa pause on a word, but to understand what the word actually means. And I want to understand how is how has that become a powerful learning tool for you? Because I think oftentimes people read things so always what I loved about being in study groups with you and with Kelly Ritchie and even Robert Kiyosaki and stuff is most people read, you know, and they just generally read some of the information that's there. But the ability to stop on a word mm -hmm. and say, what does this what does this word actually mean? Can you explain the, the power of understanding a word and how that helps you actually in the learning process? Yeah, it's a great subject. Back to Bucky again. After Bucky left the lake that night. He went home and hardly spoke to anyone for two years, except his wife. And you could ask Bucky, why did you do that? And his answer would be, and he answered many times, because we don't say what we mean or mean what we say. Hmm. And I had 
adopted habits in, in the first 27 years of my life of using words that weren't communicating what I intended to communicate. I wasn't even clear exactly what I was communicating. And so he took that two years to revamp his language Wow! and to totally restructure his language. Now, you know, Jason, being a study of Buckman, a, a student of Buckminster Fuller, if you go to study his material, his books are not easy to read. Correct. I mean, I, I read Critical Path the first time and and it's like, what the heck is this guy saying? I don't mm-hmm. know why I even stayed with it because the sentences were that long. That's Sometimes right. one yeah, sentence filled long. a page, <laughs> you know. Right. But then I remembered Mrs. Wankier in my high school English class and diagramming sentences. So I started looking and saying, if this was important enough to Bucky and he said every word counts and he's not just, you know, a blowhard, then what is going on here? And so I would get down to that basic sentence structure, noun, verb, right? Right. And then you see all of these, when I diagrammed in my mind, it was like this kaleidoscopic puzzle with all of these descriptive phrases going off of those few words in the core sentence that then you got the richness of what Bucky was saying. Mm. And so that's how I came to read Buckminster Fuller is look for the core sentence. Then what's he saying about that word? Wow. And that's where it just came to life. And how how has that impacted your, what you learn outside of Buckminster Fuller, but just in in anything that you do? We seem as human beings in general to be content to go through life with, with fog glasses on. You know, we're happy to see things in a fuzzy focus. Why? Why would we want to do that? We, we kid ourselves, I think, that, oh, yeah, I understand what that is. Well, you probably don't. Right. I, I didn't. I thought I understood a lot of things. Turns out I didn't. <laughs> right? And when we really have the courage to look deeply at truth, the truth of a word or the truth of a principle, the truth of a concept or the truth of a, an approach that we're taking in life, whether it works or not. That's when we start to make progress, I think, because the truth will always reveal itself to us if we're willing to accept it, but it will never impose itself upon us. Hmm. That's been one thing I've discovered. One thing that's uh, ex- extremely powerful. Yeah, I think people skip skip across things and miss the learning. Uh, the learning oftentimes the things that they skip or that, yeah, that they assume that they know something, but they really don't know it. Uh, yeah. They don't study it and um, taking the time to pause and saying, what do I really know about this? Yes. This thing and if I could learning. add to that, something that I see going on right now in, in our contemporary environment, I think, it's a, I think it's a virus, I think it's an epidemic, is that we have so much information available to us in the media nowadays. Everybody's wired, hardwired, plugged in and on their devices, right? So we have this constant flood of information. And it used to be that because it took time to read a book, you had to be pretty selective about the books you read mm. to make, keep them on point and to, to make them relevant to what you wanted to know or what you wanted to do. Now you've got this smorgasbord that's just flowing at you all the time. And, and I think we lose part of the, the control of the, of the selection there. And then also with the algorithms, we click on something and the algorithm says, oh, you like that. So it feeds us more, more of, of that it, yeah. and it feeds us more of that. And it feed, and pretty soon we're so deep in the briar patch that we think we're looking at truth and we're just looking at, at, at something somebody else wanted us to see because every time we click, they get paid. Right. It's, it's a danger. So we have to become much more skilled at filtering those kinds of things. It's one of the things I love about MKX as I see it at this early stage. But I'm sold on this, and especially after spending this time with you this week. I think one of the genius elements of this company that you're creating, Jason, is that you are building a team to act as those filters, to go out in the world and to set very high standards 
and to filter out the noise and filter out the esoteric and filter out the less than relevant, to filter out the, the nonsense where a lot of people would have you understand or, or believe that they are gurus when really they're right. not. And I'm surely not saying everybody on the internet is that way. And there's a lot of great material yes. and a lot of great people out there. I think you are one of them and this whole setup is, is one of the great companies, especially what you're building at MKX. And so then when we plug in, we're getting the, the filtered version. We're getting the purified version, if mm. you will, of the content. Why? Because you have set a standard that you don't just want to fill people's heads full of information right. or waste their time talking about things. We want to give them content that they can use to change their lives today. Right. They can apply it today. So it's that same thing as me in 1979, that application quotient. Right. Is this applicable? Because I loved Magnum PI and Simon and Simon and <laughs> Hill Street Blues on the TV back, right. back in those days. I had to turn it off and not watch it because I had a higher purpose that I had to devote myself to and I couldn't do both. Right. And so I traded that for study. And the great news is that with our media nowadays, I've been able to go back and watch whatever episodes I wanted <laughs> on, right. a, on a binge all the ones fashion. That you missed. Yeah, without all the advertisements. Yeah, you can so. do it in a condensed time frame too. You don't have to wait uh, next <laughs> week exactly for the next it. episode. You can just hit yeah. next. And I can do it from the comfort of knowing I've, I, I have the comforts around me to do that now. And my family won't pay a price. So to get back to your question, I, I think that, that that is one of the challenges. And so what I'm finding in everything I'm doing right now is that People are craving authenticity. Mm. They are starving for truth. They want to know the truth. We, we have a group of young people around us, and you've got some of them in this company. I met a couple of young men yesterday that are off the charts ex exciting to me because of the energy they bring to bear in your enterprise. And, and they were locked in that room yesterday with their music thumping and kicking out whatever they do in mm -hmm. there. But they were intensely focused, and I have great respect for that. I want to be around more of those. You know, Bucky in his later years, spent a lot of his time with college kids yes. for that reason, yeah. because their minds were impressionable and they could take the treasure that he'd gathered and carry it right. forward. So I think we have a great opportunity as individuals learning to, it's, it's like the optometrist dialing in the little gizmos mm. on, on the machinery that right. he uses to test eyes, right? Right. Yes. How, is this better than that? What's better than this? How about that one? Mm. Which is better? That's a great analogy. And, until you get it fully mm. in focus, and use the tools. You are, your company is that gizmo. And so you are able to help them filter that out and get intensely focused on what is relevant to you and what will really work for you. Then monitor your energy and construct your personal energy to where it is sending the signal that you want. Mm. How do you do that? See, I think this is the real secret. Mm -hmm. if you really want to know the bottom line for me. Yes. I thought for a long time, like the secret the movie seems to suggest, and I still have people around me who believe this. Oh, you just have to think it. You're working too hard at it, Wayne. You just have to think it. It'll just come to right. you. That is true if your energy signature matches what you are asking for. Right. But do you know how hard it is to discipline a life? Mm -hmm. To constantly broadcast a pure signal at the same intensity and frequency of that beautiful thing that right. you're looking for? Right. That'll be the hardest thing you ever undertake to do. Yes. And the most worthwhile. Yes and the most worthwhile. So we have to, there's a great saying I saw recently by St. Exupéry. I can't remember his full name. But he said, perfection isn't achieved by adding things to something. Mm. Perfection is achieved by taking away everything that isn't what perfection is until there's nothing left but perfection. Wow. And I think we can apply that to everything in our lives. So if I take myself as a human being, if I am this energy beacon that is sending 
these signals out there. If that's why my life is the way it is, if that's how I'm getting my results, and by the way, it absolutely is, mm -hmm. and you know, we can debate that right. or argue it, or you can just go study it until you realize that, yeah, that's, that's how truth. it works. Yes. That's how it works. Then, if that's the case, my job is to figure out how to send as pure a signal as I can. And that means I have to manage everything about myself. Anger, greed, lust. I mean, you can name all, all the seven yep. sins, but we're not getting religious again. Anything that pollutes your energy signal is not part of the perfection you're seeking. So it has to go. It has to be cut away. But those are mm. sacred cows we don't want to give up. Right. You know, we hold on to those. We have to give them up if we are serious about wanting what we say we want. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the underlying root of the word commitment, which means to cut away from. Mm. Right. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, yeah, commitment. I bet I did know that because I read your 52 words book. <laughs> yeah. means to cut away, from, cut, cut away from something. Speaking of words, there's three words I'd like you to maybe explain your understand what's the difference between these words. Mm -hmm. They're all kind of synonymous, but they're, they're all different and there's power. Okay. power and energy. So one, one word is what's the difference between information, education, and knowledge. And I'll put it this way from uh, a gentleman that we've both had the opportunity and pleasure and to spend time around Robert Kiyosaki, we would often say information plus education equals knowledge. But there's so much information that's out there. If you don't have education to understand the information, it will never become knowledge. But I'd love your to understand where what your view is on the difference between information, education, and knowledge. Okay. And yes, I love Robert and his example. And you mentioned Kelly Ritchie too. And and I just need to say while I'm on camera, I love Kelly and Anna So Ritchie. do I. I love Kelly and Anna Ritchie. Ritchie family is one of the most beautiful family. families. They those. are just great people. They've been such loyal friends to, to us. And and so hello in Australia. We love you guys. Yeah, hello, mate. <laughs> yeah, hi. howdy, mate. Information is is that stuff that is just not even necessarily facts. It's just a flow of letters, words, thoughts, ideas that, that is rather random and unorganized and and not proven or measured against any standard. Mm. It doesn't become education until it's packaged and ingested in a form that you can actually learn something from it, which is the definition sort of of being educated, and make it your own. Right, so, okay. So it has to become a consumable version. Mm. And I think that is the big trap nowadays. People have all this information, they think they're educated. That's right. They, they watched the YouTube video, so they think they know. Oh, that's a, that's a death trap nowadays. Mm -hmm. Well, I watched three YouTube videos on that. Seriously? Mm -hmm. And you think that's all you need to do? Right. Okay. Let's see how that works out and get back to me, will you? Because there's mm -hmm. no sense trying to tell somebody. That no, you got to go they're experience wrong. it. You know, just, yeah, you have the right to experience it yourself. So, and then education doesn't become knowledge, I don't think, until it's combined with experience. Got it. So we take our knowledge. We find a way to apply it, which was the essence of Bucky Fuller's life. Mm -hmm. He sought the information. He tested it until it became education. He found out which principles were operative mm -hmm. in that flow of, of the information, discarded everything else. And then he brought it into his own life and applied it and kept 50 years of hard paper files, rooms full of file wow. cabinets over his lifetime and little three by five cards Typewritten. Have you seen some of those? Yes, I have. Yeah, that he created. Yes. He he wrote his realizations on his ahas on his the things he'd actually learned that became knowledge for him. When he right. identified a true principle, then that he had it. what he was looking for. That was the truth, and that could become a building block in the rest. Then he went and tackled something else. 
remarkably productive life. So, you know, I think some of it's like, like the, the biblical references in Proverbs and Psalms in particular to wisdom. You know, that at some point, if we're diligent, our processing of information and our education that turns to knowledge, once we have the ability to apply that knowledge to the benefit of ourselves and hopefully as many other human beings on the planet as possible, that becomes wisdom. Yes. I love that. I'm going to ask you another question. It actually comes from a lesson that we learned from our mutual friend that you just brought up, Kelly Ritchie. And I'd like your interpretation of something that he, he would talk about, but I think it's highly beneficial, especially as you start out with uh, Bucky Fuller and the, the bee and understanding things in the metaphysical world that actually happen in the physical world. And a lot of it has to do with business. Kelly Ritchie is love teaching the one-man entrepreneur, love teaching about entrepreneurship to the smallest man possible. But also he has a great understanding. You mentioned yesterday his CRM system that he had built for his business. And uh, when he would talk about the, the flows of business or the flows of things that happen in a business, he had often used four words all the time uh, that there's always an in and there's always an out. And there's always an in-between and there's always an all-around. Yeah, And it goes to an understanding of Bucky Fuller. Something else is always going on. But could you uh, explain your understanding of your time around Kelly, uh, around business of uh, understanding ins and outs in between and all around because everything is happening uh, as Bucky would say simultaneously. Yeah. And, and here's the trick, I think partly this is a partial answer to your question. We'll get to as, as good a full answer as I can give. There's something else involved there. It is part of the in out between and around, but it is lag. When we start studying energy and, and the flows of energy and, and the patterns of energy, and when we really step into the metaphysical world and realize how simultaneous it can be, because energy just is. That's correct. It still has its manifestation in this temporal realm, in this world, in this three-dimensional situation. And in coming into reality here, there is a lag between gestation and manifestation, just as there is with the seed. Kelly right. loves to use the metaphor of the seed to teach these principles. And I think it's a beautiful metaphor. He was a farmer. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he worked with Uncle Vic on the farm when he got to Australia and as a 15-year-old and then married an Australian girl. Her family was, were big land developers, and one of the forms of land that they developed was farming. Right. And they said, you can go into our real estate business or you can go into the farm. And Kelly didn't see himself as a salesman. So he didn't want to go sit in an office and sell real estate. Right. He went to the farm and he cleared the rocks and they broke out farms and turned raw land into farms. And then he talked about his, it was Grandpa Vic actually, and how he would challenge him on projecting how much fuel he would need for the next year. Right. And Kelly would think he did a pretty good job. Oh no, anybody can do it within 2%. Get it, get it within 1%, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so he drove Kelly really hard and Kelly was a good student and he, he rose to the occasion and the challenge and, and, and developed a lot of his thinking, honey, money bumbling, right. you know, along the way with Grandpa Vic. And so he has this beautiful explanation of the seed and how you put the seed in the ground and it sits there dormant and nothing's happening. At least it appears nothing's happening, but it's absorbing moisture and it's absorbing sunshine. And at some point you get that first sprout right. that we call gestation. And, and then that sinks itself down into the soil where it can get water and nutrients. And then it puts the upward sprout and starts to grow the plant that ultimately becomes the stalk of corn or rice or wheat or whatever that produces on average. And I've studied this in detail, actually about a 500 X wow. multiple of the seed. 
So if you plant, it's more than that in corn, if you plant one kernel of corn, it will grow a stalk of corn. On that stalk of corn, you're going to have six or seven ears of corn. Each one of those ears is going to have about 500 kernels of corn on it. Which means if if you, in your planting and harvesting, only produced one ear of corn, you could eat 499 of those kernels and save one to plant again, and it would replenish itself. And I think for entrepreneurs, that's an an extremely important conversation. Because as entrepreneurs, we rarely, new ones at least, Mm -hmm. young ones, we rarely save something to replant. Right. Entrepreneurs are always thinking about, I can spend it. You know, this is my money. I can right. do That's how businesses get in trouble. But we rarely save something to replant. And when we start to understand that there's a lag to everything, I was talking one time, probably a really good example. Somebody was asking me to consult with him. And, and I said, what's going on? He said, I just moved up from California to Utah. I was a general contractor in California. My wife has given me 30 days to have my contractor business up and running here. Or, or she's not going to let me do this. And I said, why don't you just go home and tell her, let's go back to California. He said, what do you mean? And I said, 30 days is not long enough right. to start a business. It takes longer than that to get your roots down. It takes longer than that to get your exposure. It takes longer than that to find your projects and to build your first project. You're not going to succeed in 30 days. I'm, I'm not trying to throw water on your dream. I'm saying you're being unrealistic right. because there is lag. And too many times we come into business, particularly as, as young entrepreneurs, and maybe it's out of necessity. We, we, we are driven by the need for cash flow in a certain period of time. Well, the universe doesn't really care what your need is. Right. It cares what your contribution is. Right. What are you giving to others that will cause that to happen? And how much lag is involved in that relationship and mm-hmm. that process? And so lag is the first thing there. The other thing about the, the in and out and between and around is, is we're really talking about the patterns through which energy flows on its journey from being pure energy to being a tangible something. In other words, a temporal element mm-hmm. or, or a structure in this world. We experience all of this as solid and structural because we're part of it, because our bodies are part of that. And so this stuff of which my body is made has all of the sensory perception in it such that when I touch the metal or plastic, whatever it mm-hmm. is in that microphone arm, I experience it as tangible. Right. And if you took that and hit me over the head with it, I definitely <laughs> experience right. it as tangible, That's right? right? But that is just because of the realm that we're in. It's not reality. We have to look behind, beyond, right. to the metaphysical to see the nature of reality. That conversation about the in and out, between and round is about the patterns that energy flows through to become, to slow down enough right. to become tangible in this. Realm. Right. Very cool. What, do you, what has you most excited currently? I will say this, and it is not patronizing to you. MKX is what has me most excited currently because ever since I began studying Bucky, I have been asking myself what my answer could be, would be, and should be to the question he asked God really Mm -hmm. on the shores of Lake Michigan or that God answered him to his question. What is it that I could do? What is the biggest thing I could do at the highest possible level to touch the maximum number of lives that would create results on such a large scale that I could accomplish my purpose in life. Right. And I see MKX as a platform, a stage, a distribution channel because of your like-mindedness, because of, of your love of truth and, and of Bucky thinking and Kelly thinking and Robert thinking and all the rest of the people we've associated with on this journey to make the biggest difference we can make. I, I, I could go out and recreate all of this myself. Right. Don't want to. Right. 
I mean, that, that's kind of onerous for me. I, I don't want to work that hard at, at my age. Right. For one thing, I may not even be able to. You know, I might not have that much youth left in my body. But I want to use my energy in such a way. And so this gives me a great platform that I can take the, the messages that I have gathered, crafted, created in life that I think are extremely important. We're, we're doing a, an outreach into poverty-stricken countries in the world right now. Africa turned out to be the first one we've gotten traction in. I started a year ago in teaching these principles on a very simplified right. level over Zoom in 16 segments to, to people who are in abject poverty. Right. And a lot of people say, why waste your time? You can't monetize that. That's right. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Right. We're not trying to monetize it. This is a gift. We're giving this to people right. because they need to be able to come up the ladder. What difference does it make if all of us have all the money in the world if we've got a billion people or two billion people on the planet that can't eat today? Right. That's not okay with me. Mm-hmm. Not on any level. Thankfully, some of these people engaged. They had their devices and, and they logged on and they took the lessons. And then there was the gestation period. Then there was the lag. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of quiet. One of the things that Robert taught me the first time I... I taught with him on the stage at Rich Dad was how to teach. And I'll never forget, he, he set me up really because he brought me in and I'll just come down and talk about real estate. <laughs> it was really, he, awesome. was, he, was, he was testing me as, as a speaker and, and as a presenter. And, and I, I came up lacking. <laughs> so he came up on the stage eventually and then he asked the audience how many people under, or, or think that Wayne knows what he's talking about. Pretty much every hand in the room went up. How many think he's pretty smart? Pretty much every hand in the room went up. How many of you understood everything he's saying? Only about 40% of the hands came yeah. up. He said, do you mind if I go back through your material? Number one, I was impressed that he could go back through the material Retain I had it. just yes. taught and that he had it. Yep. I was very impressed. Mm-hmm. He went through it. He simplified it. And he said, now go into your small groups and talk about that. He signaled the mics off. They shut the mics off. And then he started teaching me how to teach. Mm-hmm. I think Robert Kiyosaki, for all of the other things he is in life, is the greatest teacher I've He's ever met. a great met. educator, yes. Yeah, I think he has skills that I've just never encountered anywhere else. And so I, I'm really grateful for that part of our relationship. But while they were talking about the material, he said, now, Wayne, listen. Listen to the energy in the room. Do you hear how it's rumbling? Oh, kind of low. and or, mm-hmm. They're chunking on this. And he said, You're, you'll hear her in a few minutes. That will start to come up. He was saying the frequency in the room is going to rise as they gain understanding. Think about how powerful that yes. is. And so sure enough, after a few minutes, and there's some laughter and then they're all excited. And he said, okay, now they've got it. And he called them back to focus, you know, 30 seconds, wrap it up. And then what did you learn? Choose a a representative from each table. And then he'd take that to the bigger picture. Well, after a few minutes, we've gone through two or three rounds that who was doing the teaching? They were. Yes. He was managing the process. Right. And they were doing it because they were getting it, which is the whole point of teaching anyway. And he said, you can never move on to the next topic until every person in the room has that one or you've lost them all. Right. One of the most powerful things yes. I've ever learned. It, it challenged me as a teacher to make it relevant, to make it simple, to make it understandable, but it also challenged me to value the individual and to make sure that with my skills, and it, see that, that goes to that big picture right. of the global outreach now. It's not okay unless we can bring everybody along. We need a system that can do that. So after 16 weeks of, of those YouTube videos, I started to get feedback. The room had been rumbling, mm-hmm. jumping. The room was Africa, right? right. And I started to get feedback. A, a young woman, a young mother of four children wrote to me and said, I have listened to the videos again, and I want to thank you for awakening me to my purpose. Mm. I want to start a school. 
because there are children all around me whose parents can't afford to send them to school. They were in school, but they got kicked out because the parents couldn't pay the fees. Right. So I want to do this. She didn't ask for money. She didn't ask for anything. What she asked me was to reveal to her what she had in her that she could use to, to accomplish her purpose. And right. she, she said, this is my purpose. And boy, I got it. In the way she wrote, I got that she was on target. Yes. So over the next few weeks, she started this school in her home. It's homeschooling. And she had to hire teachers to be certified, and she needed books. And when I found that out, I told a friend of mine, and he set up a GoFundMe page, and it cost $25 for a school year for the books for these kids, wow. for one child, $25. It costs $100 per year for each student for the teachers. She provided everything else. The GoFundMe bought them the books. They've got 16 children in Africa now that are getting an education because she tapped into her dream. That's so cool. Jason, that's why I'm here. Yeah. I'm here to teach these principles. I'm here to stand on the largest stage and platform I can stand on. I love this technology because I don't actually have to go for hours on a stage. Yes. We, we can put this in the can and everyone can share it. And I think we have a tremendous opportunity to truly fulfill Bucky's vision for what the world could be if we would adopt these principles collectively. Right. All of us participate. All of us discover our gifts. All of us give them and overcome the challenges that face humanity. Global warming, okay. War, okay. Let's tackle it, guys. Yeah. We can do this. We can do this. We were born and built to do this. Yes. Well, it's been an honor and a privilege to have you here today. Enjoy the conversation. I enjoy you as a friend and a mentor and a, a fellow participant on the path. I'm going to ask you to do, do an honor. You see that there's a lot of stickers on this table, so everybody that comes here gets to either write a phrase or sign their name. And add your own artifact, as Bucky would say. Am I going to do this table. live or am I going to do this? You're going to do it live. You're gonna, right this second. Yeah, right huh? this second. So whatever right. spontaneously comes to your mind. All right. And manifests itself directly onto that sticker. Well, while I'm doing this, could you tell me what those pirates are about? <laughs> the pirates? Yes. I, yeah. Whatever reason, I've had this affinity to, be, to being a pirate. And what's interesting is, you know, I think that there's good sides and bad sides to being a pirate. But I always love the islands, always love being in the ocean. I love the idea of something. But for me, it's more of a pirate for the kingdom of God, mm. and uh, which is really to go and plunder the wickedness in the world and give it back to the kingdom. So that's, that's <laughs> the uh, affinity for it. I'm a, I'm a, good, I'm a good spirited pirate, <laughs> put it that way. So, You're Robin Hood. <laughs> Robin Hood. Love yeah, it. Thank yes. you. It's like the old Jimmy Buffett song. Yes, I am a pirate. 200 years too late. The cannons don't. Thunder, there's nothing to plunder. I'm an over 40 victim of fate, but I don't believe I'm a victim of fate. I feel like I'm on purpose and on task. So you can choose where that goes on the table. What we, does it say to every, read it to everyone? It says, energy is everything. Energy and is everything. And everything is energy. Energy is everything. And everything is energy. So you can find the most appropriate spot for you and peel it's, that sticker off. still and, a little wet, but I'll see what I can do. Uh, you don't mind if it gets a little ugly. Our friend Kelly would say, I can do something with ugly. <laughs> yeah, well, some of us have had to. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. And always ride the wave of life and always play big.